Hey, this is Barbara Corker, and you are now tuned in to Business Unusual. And everything you ever learned about business, throw it out the window. I'm going to tell you the real deal. Listen in. Today, I'm going to answer all your burning questions about work, life, starting a company, getting on track, and much, much more. Be sure to call in to the Business Unusual hotline with your question at 888-BARBARA. That's 888-B-A-R-B-A-R-A. Hey, if you've got a TV, I've got a treat for you. Today, I'm talking with Brian Baumgartner. You probably know Brian as Kevin from The Office. We're going to get the inside scoop on how the show's made, the relationships of the characters to each other, whether they were having as much fun off camera as they seem to be having on camera, and why this show, again, second time around, is such a big hit. So, Brian, I have to ask you, uh, the whole world believed The Office initially was not going to be successful. You didn't right. open to read reviews. It was some rough starting there. How did you feel about it? Did you write it off like all the critics, or did you feel differently from the get-go? You know, we... Well, first off, I was a fan of the British version of the show. So I had watched the British version of the show. I loved the British version of the show. And I was probably too ignorant to think it couldn't be replicated. I was like, well, this is good. We could do it. Well, ben Silverman, who I wrote the book with, talks about saying, well, if you're going to adapt something, don't you want to start with something that's really good to begin with? <laughs> like, you don't, want to, you don't want to adapt a really bad book or a really bad movie. You want to start with something good. Was it um, an attempt, though, to adapt it? Or was it, let's do our own version and forget about what they did over there? I think that's actually, that's a great point. Uh, it was about doing our own version, for sure. So many people doubted the success of the show was that there had been a lot of attempts to bring over British shows oh. that had all recently categorically failed. Mm -hmm. And Stephen felt like he thought the reason was we don't understand the American sensibility. Mm -hmm. We have our own sensibility. So we, we've created the show that, in a way that the people of, of the UK mm -hmm. will understand. But we they felt like they should stay out of it. That they had the model, they they sort of gave the blueprints over mm. to the creator Greg Daniels and thought the best way for this to be the best show for the U.S. is for us to stay out of it. And they did. And they did. And they did. And you know, early on, it uh, the show, as you said, the the critics were not supportive. The early testing of the show, once we had done an initial pilot, was terrible. Like. Kevin Riley, who I talked to, who was the chairman of NBC at the time, said it was like not even a one. It was like a 0.5. But he brought in, there were all these rooms where they tested, right? And they bring in all these people and they're supposed to rank this and that and characters like ability. Just and on that very first episode that was done. Just on the very first so episode. Really? This was just about should we, should NBC make the show? That's like having a baby and saying, will my child be the president? That's a, totally. Where is this going to go from here? Um, and so they went room to room and it was all pant and he had set up a, a separate room, which was, uh, assistance at NBC and young people. And he walked into the room and said, um, what did, what did you guys think? And they said, not only is this the best show that, that you guys are creating this year. But really, it's the only show that we would watch that's even currently on the network. Amazing. And Kevin, as he told me the story, he said, thank you very much. 
and walked out of the room and continued to, to fight for it. But did Kevin, did he relay to you that he purposely set up that particular room to get a different kind of perspective? Yes. Yes, he, he, he believed. So the show at the time, which it's difficult now to, to place yourself back there to 2004, mm -hmm. 2005, you know, there's no laugh track. Mm -hmm. It's shot in a documentary style. Forgot there's no laugh track. No, never done no laugh track, a documentary style, cameras jiggling around, moving mm -hmm. side, you know, it, it, people were not accustomed to watching it. And so he felt like, well, if it's new, we need a new audience to sort of break this in, and uh, and and very smartly that 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 worked out. What was the point along the way where everyone on the in the cast said we've got something here, or was it never really a point that you went over the hump and you had a winner? For me, the second episode that we shot, I oh. remember very very specifically the episode was called Diversity Day. And oh God, we, I, can't, I can't hear about that without laughing. I will, yes. And we, we, we shot that episode, and I remember saying, man, I don't know if people are going to give the show a chance, but I really hope they do because what we're talking about here, like, like at the essence of it, we're talking about something that's profoundly, I think, important and different. You know, you had these shows in the 70s, All in the Family, Jefferson's, Maud, that we're talking about real current social issues. Mm -hmm. And then television, particularly network television, the comedy, forgot about that mm -hmm. and didn't touch it for years and years and years. Because it was a hot topic. I mean, it certainly is today. You don't go near it. But at that time, was it a hot topic that people avoided? Oh, very. Yes. I don't remember that. And, and we, you know, then we went on the next year and, and filmed it episode entitled Sexual Harassment. Amazing. And what... what and again, I'm, I'm seeing the whole episode. I'm going to watch each of these tonight. Again, <laughs> yet again. <laughs> yes. And we would, uh, NBC, Universal, corporate, um, we would have to take sexual harassment seminars once a year. You know, you had to get yeah. your sticker that said you had been through this training. And we it was this crazy experience where the entire crew and all the actors would sit in a room and the HR people would come in from NBC and they would talk about how you should behave and how you should behave. And they had clips that they, this was like their corporate presentation and the clips on how not to behave were all from the office. And they were showing up, teaching us about what not to do by showing our show that they were showing you know, everybody else at, at NBC corporate. So we always, we always how found that. crazy is that, right? Now, what about today? Can you envision any show even approaching those topics? And well, with, without those topics, what would that show have been? I mean, I think it's the guts of way, what it, what made it so valuable. One of the, one of the things, I mean, this, this such riches there, but how could it happen today? Could it happen today? There's obviously been a lot of discussion mm -hmm. about that. I, my 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 smart aleck answer is mm -hmm. it's making a lot of people a lot of money so like to say that it can't happen or no one would do it i mean clearly there's an audience for yes. it right um but i think in truth the 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 conversation is confusing to me because what you have uh in general is a character most of the time it's michael scott mm -hmm. played by steve carell who says something Inappropriate. Let's just use that word. So perfectly said, inappropriate. Inappropriate. Something you you are quote not supposed to say. Yes. 
And some people say you couldn't you couldn't film that today. But the confusing thing to me is that as soon as in the show Michael Scott says something, the camera pans around to fifteen other people in the room, yes. and every other face and voice is saying you can't say that. Yes. So see, for me, actually, the show is is quite woke for its mm. time. It is it's actually giving you a blueprint of how. You should behave. And the idea that because something is said, but I don't know how you teach the lesson if you don't see the other side of it. This is the thing that's slightly confusing to me. I still, I, I wish I could believe you that that is possible. And I think it's a potent teacher because of the reaction of people to Michael's comments. Yeah. In fact, I learned so much as a boss watching that because I bordered on Michael in many ways and I've cleaned up my act because I realized I might find it funny but the other people might be laughing along with me, but they're not finding it funny. Right. I can't say I've gotten very good at it. Right. Right. But I think there's no more powerful way to open a dialogue on that than to show it in these characters on the show. Yeah. But I don't think it's going to happen. I wish I could think it would, because it's it's the only thing that works versus getting your little sticker for the anti-harassment seminar right. to do. No. We've all done a shark tank, by the way. Yeah, no, I'm sure. I'm sure you're going through... Uh, Similar thing. So I look. I, I you might be right. Mm-hmm. You may be I right. I, I I do too. Yeah. I do too. I think also um, Greg Daniels talked about this. That um, I think that the show would continue to um, to shine a, a bad light on those comments. But I think the show at this point also um, might might turn around and, and, and talk to the, the woke culture a little bit to like examine, have we gone too far in that regard? Is, you know, is there a too far? And I, I don't know the answer to that, but I, I think it would be funny to explore. No, I think most people would say it's gone too far. Yeah. And I'll, meanwhile, I'll get my fix at the office. I'll watch it for the fourth time. I've done it three times. I'll do it for the fourth. Um, what do you think the magic of the office is at its core? Why do you think people relate so much to not just one character. It's not like anybody I know chooses one character and says, oh, I really, they might have favorite characters, but they relate to every single character. Right. What do you, what do you think that's about? Well, I, the answer to the question is really why I wrote the book, right? So um, you're on a successful show. The Office, when it was on NBC, um, was the most uh, successful scripted show that was currently on the the right. most absolutely so. It, it, and it, you can't it, overestimate that or overstate it. it. It was. But then something really weird happened, which was five, six, seven years since we filmed anything. Since our last shot on the show, suddenly it's becoming more difficult for me to walk through an airport <laughs> to sit in a restaurant. And then they start releasing the streaming numbers. Mm. Well, that and, happened before the streaming came? and so yeah so we, we just we just as a cast and i would have conversations with people and it's like man, it feels like like more people like the show is getting bigger mm-hmm. and 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 what is happening and then the streaming numbers started coming out and um in 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 2020 57.1 billion minutes were streamed alone wow. on, on netflix is that a record and Oh, yes, it's it 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 has shattered everything, and so now where we sit, eight years since anything has been filmed, mm-hmm. right? Someone just told me this the other day. You got Squid Game, everybody's talking about. Yeah. Succession, everybody's talking about on HBO. Before that, 
you know, uh, Stranger Stranger Things, all the new shows. There are more people watching The Office today than any other show in television today. And we haven't filmed anything in years. How are more people watching our show than all than any other show that's on? And so for me, Friends, for Mm -hmm. example, or 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 whatever. um, And so my question was, why? (laughs) What? Like, what happened? Why are people not just? Why is the show not just survived? But why is it thriving now? Yes, that's even bigger Mm. than it was when we were on NBC. And so what I wanted to do uh, when we first started talking about this exploration, I was, uh, this is cliche alert. I was into true crime podcasts, right? Mm. Remember, true crime podcasts. So I said, let's let's examine this like a true crime podcast. Mm. But it's not like who killed who or... Why is this person missing or whatever? It's it's what happened mm. to the office. You what are there, are there, what happened? Yeah, are there any clues? I think that there's a number of things. I think that one, um, we thought we were making a show for people who worked in offices. That's what we talked about. If pe- these people can relate, who worked in office and they watch the show, we're going to have a hit. Five percent of them, the two hundred million Americans that work in offices, were good. But I think the parallel between an unreasonable boss who makes his employees do unreasonable things <laughs> while sitting next to people they don't choose to sit next to parallels an unreasonable teacher who makes their students do unreasonable things mm. while sitting in a space with all of these people. I think that the young people understand it. And we weren't making a show for kids, mm. but it's a little subversive. Um, they can relate to the characters in that way. I think that that is a huge thing. The second thing, major sort of discovery that I would say is that um, time and time and time again, people who come up to me and they're not just telling me I'm feeling an intense need from them to tell me mm-hmm. that the show brings them comfort. Oh, absolutely. That the sh- that it makes them feel or has helped them get through a difficult time. And so I started to examine like, what is, what is that? Do you ask when someone says that? Why is that? Oh, no, they'll tell me. Right away. I, I was talking to the equivalent of, of PBS in Canada. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, I... And stops. He said, I didn't know if I was going to say this. And of course, I was like, okay, please. <laughs> what <are> you? <laughs> he said, um, um, I believe he said when he was a, a teenager, his father died. Mm-hmm. And he went and he was staying with his grandparents. And very almost in a literary way like a book begins describing this attic space that he was in and describing this old tv that you had to turn for the Mm. channels that was up there and him taking his xbox 360 and finding a way to plug it in and putting on the office and just saying that show the show watching the show got me through that time and it's and that what I'm saying to you, Barbara, that is so crazy is again not that he told me the story, mm-hmm. but I begin to feel like this incredible need mm-hmm. from someone to tell me the story, and so part of the exploration of the book was why. And one of the things that I did with everybody that I talked to is I played for them the last line that is spoken in the entire series, the 207th episode. Uh, at the very end of the season finale, and it's the character of Pam, 
who is, is adorable Pam, who's clearly asked a question, which is why did they make this documentary about you people at Thunder Mountain? And she says, paraphrasing the first part, I'm not sure why they made this documentary. But I think... And there's, she said it with her usual awkwardness. Yes. Fall in love with yes. She says, there's beauty in ordinary things. Mm. Isn't that kind of the point? And for me, there's obviously comedy, there's physical comedy, there's bad behavior, as we've discussed, there's people sniping at each other, there's all of that stuff exists within the office. But I think, I think that that feeling of, of finding beauty in ordinary things is really important to people. When we talk about the book or the, the show, came out of Friends, mm -hmm. right? And as, as Ben Silverman says, and Baywatch, which is Friends in Bikinis. <laughs> we were not that. We were, we were intentionally unknown actors that looked like regular people in some way. And, um, and that, that idea of finding beauty in that, that was something that was tremendously important. And, and so well put. I never really thought of it that way, but that's why it's such a feel-good show. I think so. Yeah. yeah. You know, I'll add a little story to that. My daughter was seven, uh, pardon me, in seventh grade and having a very hard year in school. First tough time. And she introduced me to the office in the beginning of uh, eighth grade because she was watching it constantly. And I said, really, is it appropriate? I didn't know about it. I hadn't read about it. And she said, it's getting me through. And I'm like, getting you through what? It opened this whole conversation. Wow. So she said she felt like she was part of each person. And right. she said it with tears in her eyes. That's when I sat down and watched it the first time. Then we watched it the second time. This last summer, we watched it the third time. Right. That's it doesn't great. get old. And interestingly, you could, you could pop in any episode and get it. You don't need to know what happened before. It stands on its own in merit, and it's riveting by itself. I think that's amazing. Oh. And when you land on one you really like, it's like, oh, how about the one with you uh, being the, the, the band leader? What yes. Crazy. Crazy. I left till I cried. <laughs> and what was your reaction to that? Well, you know, there were... I mean, so not like you. Like, why would they make you, of all people, the band leader? <laughs> yeah, I, I know. I think that, again... Uh, to go literally to what we were just talking about, right? It's like finding these little, these little victories, this little beauty, and something that you you wouldn't expect, right? They wouldn't expect right. it was preposterous. It was preposterous, and not only that, Barbara. I'll share you like this is the <laughs> biggest writer room joke of all time. So Kevin Malone is the lead singer and drummer yeah. of a police cover band. Okay, that okay. Years later. As I'm trying to do this, and they're bringing in P, I didn't play the drums. I didn't know what I didn't know what I was doing, and I'm learning all this stuff. And it was it was shared to me that the reason that I was a lead singer and drummer of a police cover band is because <laughs> you may understand this more than me. I I don't fully understand, but there is a drum beat, right? The the drum is a beat in poli in the police songs. The singing because is the bassist is happening off of the beat of the drums. So, here we go, okay. here we go. I'm For you, Kevin to be the lead singer and drummer of a police cover band, he would have to be a musical genius. Like, he would have to be a savant musically, yeah. and that was their, like, inside joke. So it's like, 
He wins a World Series of Poker bracelet, but he can't count. He's a musical <laughs> savant, but he seems to have no rhythm. You know, he can shoot baskets better than anybody else. That's another in the, great episode. In, 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 in the office. Um, so, yeah, they found just those little, little moments. And how did they find those moments? Was the writer room getting together and thinking, okay, what would be the most unexpected thing we could possibly have him do this week? And is that how they stick it to you? Partly. The basketball one, though, you'll appreciate this. That was truly boys being boys, right? Oh. So we we're we was, that was our first season. I was young. John Krasinski was younger. And we were shooting a basketball episode, and we were in a warehouse. So every time they called cut, what would we do? It was like gym class. We'd stand up, we'd bounce the ball, create all this noise, and we would start shooting baskets. And I played basketball in high school. Oh, I didn't know that. And so that wasn't scripted. We got... To the last day of shooting, and lots of people take credit for it now, so I'm not even going to try to say who said, but someone said, as everybody's walking away and the game is over, said to the camera, pan back, Brian, just start, just start shooting, making, made 13 in a row. My God, I don't not, I'm telling you, it's no. there on a DVD or on a ladder. It's no, ladder. it was there, I promise. <laughs> That was, I was going to say that was my favorite episode. If you name one more incident, I'm going to say that's my favorite episode. <laughs> so how close are you to the character? A fumbling guy, bumps into things, has a funny handshake. Yes. Is any of that from your personality or that was totally manufactured and put on your that, personality, your character, Brian? That that was that was character creation. I mean, look, I think I think part of the the beauty of the ensemble, right, is that there were no fake walls. We we're all in a space together and they chose people with different backgrounds, right? So we had stand-up comedians, we had amazing improvisers. And then we had, myself, I was a theater actor and it really wasn't even comedy. Like that wasn't even what my focus was. Um, and so for me, it was about character creation. So the physicality of the character, the way the character talked, all of those things were, were, important to me in terms of, of creating the character. But it again. doesn't seem that different the way you speak and move or sitting next to you. Right. It doesn't feel like you're that different from that character. If you were, I, I think I would cry. <laughs> I think most people would. But you, you don't identify with the, anything about that character. It's, it's a, just a great acting job. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you. Is yeah. it really? That's I, amazing. I, I would have a hard time believing that. <laughs> Why do you think people fell in love with you head over heels as they have? I mean, there are certain characters. You had, uh, I think, a cast of over 25 people, didn't yeah. you? Uh, some were the main characters. Some were subordinate characters. I'm sure that when they when they chose you, you were supposed to be a subordinate character. It didn't happen that right. way. But why the, the head-over-heels love affair, particularly to you? I think that it has to do with um, everybody wanting to win one. There's actually a line that Kevin says at one point in the show is that mm. a very small gets negotiates some parking spots back oh from someone and 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 he has a line and says it's just good to win one. Mm. And so I think obviously famously there's the chili spill that happens from oh. from Kevin, but it's about trying your best, setting it up and and in that case, something gets in the way. But I think that that uh, desire uh, to try to try to have those small victories is part of it. I also think 
Um, and what I've experienced is that um, people think it would be really fun to have a drink with Kevin Malone. Absolutely. And there's that. And a beer specific, specifically. Yes, exactly. Do you really uh, fist bump people? I, would, I was asked by my following, ask him, does he fist does bump I, Do I fist bump people? Do that to me when you walk I, no, I No, I don't. I mean, but now with the pandemic i'm not even sure what you're supposed to do anymore if you're supposed to <laughs> well, you know you give me a you kiss i'm, I'm fine with there you go okay, okay. <laughs> you went to high school with andy yes at Helms. About the same year yeah, uh, he's actually he's just one year uh younger um it's our amazing. parents are friends we were friends we did uh in my office i have a picture of us in a high school play together i mean we we knew each other that story is funny though we were um you know, this is before you could FaceTime and text. And I mean, this was much more needed a phone call. And he had um, he had come to the Northeast. He was living in New York and he was uh, a correspondent on The Daily Show. But he, he had gone somewhere else to college and I had. And we would see each other and totally fine, but just generally lost touch. And we were uh, in the in the summer between our second and third seasons. We were shooting some additional material uh for the web so it wasn't a full crew it was kind of off time and i'm we called them talking heads the direct address to the to the cameras that we would do and i was filming it was rolling and i was filming and suddenly ed helms walks behind the camera over and i stopped i was like wait wait cut what and my brain went why is Ed, like my high school friend, why is he walking in, in Dunder <laughs> Mifflin right now? Not even thinking in that moment, like, oh, he's on The Daily Show. He's now an actor, too. You know, like all of those things. And he was there to meet with Greg Daniels about coming and joining the cast wow. that following year. That was why he was there. And, and I can't um, picture the show without him. Yeah, wow. What amazing. an addition. Amazing. But what did he say? Did he think you were each fated to be together? Did that a special element or just a, just a coincidence? I guess. No, it was just a coincidence. He had, he had um, Kevin Riley, who was the chairman of NBC, um, was a fan of his. And he kind of had a... a a deal with NBC and there was another show and it didn't go. So I think NBC was sort of looking for a place for him. And Greg had talked about expanding the cast and wanted, you know, was a fan of his work as well. Obviously Steve Carell was on the daily show. They crossed paths just briefly, but they knew each other. And so he was sort of a natural person and, and Greg met him. And Do you think they him. wrote a character for him because they wanted him on the show? In, in part, that was, that was the creation. I mean, the idea of it um, which I really learned from the conversations in the book was if you you think about Dwight, the assistant to Michael Dwight. Scott, oh with with his issues, um, that Andy was sort of the same character with exactly different traits, mm, like leading 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 into the yuppie white belt, Cornell, all of that side, but still that's constantly teasing. Yes. But still that sort of like desire to have more power than really probably you're able to do and sort of sort of acting as 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 that role. So it was it was sort of to create in this other office um, as when Jim moved over, mm. sort of a counterpart, someone who would play the Dwight role. Mm. That was just different. Was Dwight anything uh, like his character? He's mm -hmm. such an oddball. Come, he's got that oddball award in my mind. He is no Rain is is he is he is delightfully odd. He is in person. He's odd. Oh yeah, well, yeah. 
course he is. I mean, he's just saying, of course he is. No, I know that's no, that no, it it is also that. But what is crazy is he's the biggest humanitarian, has the most heart, is an incredibly spiritual person that I talk to often if I have like a deep meaning conversation that I need to have with anyone who worked on the show. So he's like all of us, right? Like, like, like real life. He's a dichotomy between, uh, you know, I'm shocked to hear that. I thought he he was playing himself all the way. Yeah. Yeah. No, you love to hate the guy. Yeah. And then you forgive him the next moment. Don't you think? Exactly. Now what happened when the camera stopped rolling? Were you all pals? Did you continue to make jokes, kid around? Or did everybody go to their quarters and have a, a cup of coffee. No, so I think again, in terms of finding clues for the uniqueness of the show and 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 why people respond to the show, um, we were not shot on NBC Universal's lot. Mm-hmm. We were shot in this tiny independent studio out in Panorama City, California, right outside mm-hmm. of Van Nuys. Um, none of the NBC executives wanted to go there because they'd have to get in their car and go. The office, that particular building that has become a symbol of the show. That was it. That was one of the the studios. Mm -hmm. Uh, There were two stages. So we had the office and like the the set of the office on one and the other, uh, we had the warehouse. Mm -hmm. And then if they needed to build sets, um, you know, New York or, you know, somewhere where we were going to shoot and and not use an action, you know, build a set. But yeah, we were all there and we were all there together all the time. You know, it wasn't like going through security and parking in a big parking garage with all these other shows. And then at lunchtime, you know, you weren't going to go have lunch with your fancy friend who was shooting another show on oh. another stage. We were just all there together. How many hours a day were you together? We were there, I would, you know, like 12 to 14 hours a day. Yeah, so we were we wow. were to shoot one episode. To shoot one one episode. That's incredible scripted TV. I don't think people really appreciate how much work is involved versus reality TV. Right on Shark Tank, we shoot probably in a twelve-hour day. We work twelve-hour days. I'd say two to three episodes in yeah. the can, not to be edited. Fine, let's go. Much yeah. better, easier job, I think. Right? Well, yes. And you don't even have to act; you just have to be yourself. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. No, we were we were sixty to seventy hours, and and the other thing is. Um, about being in that unique space is, um, and I just bring up the show because a, a lot of people know it as Modern Family, right? Modern Family ensemble show, totally ensemble show, but in general you have you have three couples, mm-hmm. and so one day you may shoot this couple story, and another day you shoot this couple story, another day, and then they have a, a big scene at the end. Maybe it takes a day or two. Mm-hmm. So the other actors aren't there; they're they're at home or. Are they reading something the whole else? script and knowing how the different pieces are going to come together? Yes. Or they only know their section. Yeah, well, I'm sure that they that they are, but they're not there all the time. On our show, because mm-hmm. the way it was shot and the camera's moving around, we were all there all the time. So mm-hmm. it's so usually, usually in scripted television, right, you have the, the star, the main yes. person who's there all the time, mm-hmm. and people come in and do a scene, and then they leave. Mm-hmm. But on our show, we were all there all the time, and I think that bond, thankfully we didn't kill each other. Mm-hmm. Thankfully we didn't want to kill each other because we got along so well, but but we almost had to because we were going to be together so much. Mm-hmm. But did you love each other? Would you call each of you friends now after the show? 100%. 100%. What a, what a gift of life, right? Oh, it's the greatest gift I ever could ever imagine getting and that I have in my life. Did you know when the show ended that that gift would continue and you'd stay pals? Yes. You knew it. Everybody knew it. Yes. Oh, God. How does anybody compare their next experience to that? 
It's really difficult. Well, and there's and there there is also the, the, the a decade, mm-hmm. right? Um, someone said the other day, it's high school and college, and then a few more years. Like we're mm-hmm. all being together for that kind of growth. And you know, I started the show I was thirty. Mm-hmm. It was my entire thirties was spent, you know, in the offices of Dunder Mifflin with this specific group of people that, by and large, didn't change. Mm-hmm. It expanded a little bit, mm-hmm. bring in a new character, but. You know, we were we were there together for a long, long time, and thankfully, um, our bond. People ask, like, "Oh, who do you you know hang out with more, or who do you?" Mm-hmm. And I said, "It's like it's like any family, right? Mm-hmm. If I'm gonna talk about football, I'll talk to John Krasinski or Rain Will, you know, Rain Wilson. If I have a question about the business, Jenna Fisher and I talk mm-hmm. a lot about mm-hmm. the business and new businesses that we're creating and so forth. And Angela and Oscar and I, we have dinner, you know, before the pandemic, like mm-hmm. regularly just go and hang out and be together. And, and so all the different um, characters. Well, look, they had to be clicks within this large family of 25 some odd people. Do you know, there really wasn't. The, really? The, the, the core group of people, you know, that we had... Um, a lot of the writing staff ended up taking jobs. And part of that was uh, Greg Daniels, our creator, wanted, uh, worked at Saturday Night Live. Mm. And he believed in that collaborative process, wanted the writers to be actors, and the actor wrote, I directed, you know, like mm. the people were taking different jobs and, and in some ways to learn the other skill set uh, to be more appreciative and have that be more collaborative together. Wow. A great team. So, so way to build a team. Yes. Yeah. So so for ease, because he needed them to write, so write Paul Lieberstein, who played Toby, was a writer, Mindy Kaling, uh a writer, BJ Novak. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a there's a commonality there, which is now this was uh so that he could get scripts written. There's the main office, mm-hmm. and then there's what we call the annex. There was the back. So the, the people who were writers on the show. They were in the annex. So they didn't have to be on set quite as often because Greg needed scripts written and they needed to keep working. So they weren't there on set as much as the the rest of us. But as you were filming, the writers were writing the next episode or editing what was being said. Was that kind of involvement? It sounds like so mushed together. Isn't that unusual in a scripted show? Very unusual. And again, because we had this compound, Mm -hmm. if you will, the editing was happening in the building. Yes, yes. The writers were in the building. Mm-hmm. Post production had trailers out in the parking lot. Like then the submarine for that. Exactly. Yeah. So we were all there. So like Greg or you know, if I had directed an episode for over lunch, I might go into the editing bay and say, How is this going? You know, mm-hmm. let's look at this. The writers could talk about, you know, the episodes that were being edited and then the episodes for next week. We would, um, you know, week to week, generally, somewhere Wednesday, Thursday at lunch, we would take a longer lunch and we would read the next episode for the next week. And then they would go and fix based on what they heard us read and just just kept going. But everybody was there. So no one was traveling anywhere. And we could just walk into somebody's office if we needed to talk about something. Wow, such great communication. You were explaining to me that you wanted this on the cover. Yes. And the publisher originally wanted the whole cast on the cover. <laughs> and explain that thinking, because I happen to agree you made the right choice. I Well, I feel like that iconic image, and we talk about it a lot in the book, and toward the end of the book, where we talk about 
Pam's last line, beauty and ordinary things. Mm. Um, for me, that that was the point, and that's why I thought that should be on the cover. So welcome to Dunder Mifflin, the ultimate oral history of the office. So when you thought to write this, what did you want to accomplish? You must have said, I want to do this, not because people are curious, but what was your ultimate goal? Yeah, it was to try to answer that question about why the show has not just survived but why it has exploded in popularity and why young people are watching the show. And, 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 and in a secondary part, I also wanted, you know, the people who found it on streaming on Netflix or wherever, and you see there's 207 episodes and you go through and you watch them. But I also wanted to, to in, in further enrich people's watching experience by explaining what was going on. Mm-hmm. Oh, there was a time in season two where Michael Scott became just a little bit softer, yes, a little bit nice, a little bit nicer. Found I was a few more viewer. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a few more, a few more. Greg talks about it being do exactly the same episode, mm-hmm. exactly the same way, but just at the very end, just a little uptick mm-hmm. in some of the episodes. Just give him a little more humanity and reason uh, to root for him, and oh. um, and well, people responded to it. Have you ever done a survey or has the show ever done a survey to find out who the most popular people are? Not that I know of. Oh, come on. I, not that, no, not that I know of. Most shows do that behind the scenes. I, they survey it all the time <laughs> to decide who to renew, who to give more airspace to. Maybe. I've never, I was never, no one ever told me this so ass. I think you've got one for one. Yeah. Thank you, oh my God! Like coming over there, squeezing those old cheeks, giving <laughs> you smooches all over your face, <laughs> and I'm sure everyone you meet feels the same. Oh, way. thank you. Yes, people yeah. like to touch Kevin. Well, this is sure. a great accomplishment. I have to say, what is so rich about this book? I only read when I go to bed. I put my finger in any spot. That's what I do, and I read until I fall asleep. And I'm having a hard time going to sleep because okay. you could really go into any piece of the book and enjoy every little part of it. Yeah. You know, it's like a treasure trove, right? Oh, thank yeah. you so much. Are you pleased with the outcome? Oh, I'm, I'm so pleased. Be. Yeah, I'm so book. pleased. And you know, you, you work on a book, a and you're, you you go by chapter, you go by section, and you're, yeah. you know, especially, you know, this was happened over the pandemic, and my editors in New York, and we're sending pages back and forth, and when I finally, about two weeks ago, got a copy in the mail, I was like. Oh, that's like a that's a real book. Like that's that is a thick, substantial it's a like huge thing. Book. It's like yes. an encyclopedia. Yeah. But it's an encyclopedia of anything you'd want to know about the office. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like gobbling up already. I'm sure you're yeah. so well with it. Deserved. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, I'm sure this is the first edition of many. I'm oh, sure. thank I'm you. I'm buying a lot. All right, Not good. This is one you're looking at. All right. Yeah. And how do people find you? Uh you can find me on uh Instagram. Or Twitter, I guess everything. Uh, B B Baumgartner. Okay, cool. You're not on TikTok. I'm not on. T- are you on TikTok? I'm I'm better on TikTok than any other medium. You have to go on TikTok. Really, people have been talking to me about you getting on TikTok. You're perfectly made for it. Yes. Zoom through the roof, and we'll also sell your book. TikTok. TikTok. Promise me. All right. Maybe we'll do it. Maybe today. Together. Okay. Today. All right. People are going to gobble you up on TikTok. Oh. If you think they love you on those other platforms, they're going to eat you alive on TikTok. Okay. Yeah. All right. I'm convinced. Yeah. I'm convinced. I'm convinced. I'll, All right. I'll prove it to you. Okay. 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 Great. It's nice to be with you. Thank you so much, Barbara. I appreciate I it. I want to follow you around town today. Just yeah. to see your oh, thank Kevin, you. Kevin, Kevin, oh, Kevin. Thank <laughs> you so much. And that's all we have time for today. 
If you have a question, leave me a voicemail on the Business Unusual hotline, 888-BARBARA. That's 888-B-A-R-B-A-R-A. You can also tweet it to me at Barbara Corcoran, and I may just answer it on a future episode. You've been listening to Business Unusual with me, Barbara Corcoran. Come back next week to hear more steps and missteps I took on the path to success. Search and follow Business Unusual on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts.